This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah from Scott Wells. This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. And Happy Winter Solstice. This is the first day of winter for those of us up here in the Northern Hemisphere, so welcome to chillier weather. This week I'd like to welcome our newest friend of the magic word, Domas Papoulis. I hope I've got that pronunciation right or close to right. I apologize, Domas, if I have mispronounced your name, but I do thank you very much for pledging your support financially each month through Patreon. And for those of you who have been waiting until the end of the year, well, Christmas is almost here and the first of the year is just around the corner. And so if there's any way that you can help us with your pledge or your financial gift through a donation one time or an ongoing donation through PayPal or through Patreon, that would be greatly appreciated. And that helps us keep this on the air and giving you quality content from week to week. A lot of things are coming up here this next year. In fact, I was just making some plans to attend Blackpool. I have have not been for, golly, over a decade. And so I'm looking forward to, uh, has it been that long? Golly, yes, it has. <laughs> but uh, doing some daily updates and visiting with a lot of friends uh, from the UK and also throughout Europe who come to attend Blackpool every year. So it should be a lot of fun and uh, just made that decision here within this past week. So that's a little new information. So I'll be uh, coming over a little bit early and uh, getting to go to the Magic Circle on the Monday night prior to the Blackpool convention and then also going to hang around for the following Monday night. And if any of you are members of the Magic Circle, perhaps I'll see you there on uh, one of the Monday nights then as well in February. Anyhow, we've got a, a very interesting podcast here today. I was visiting with Charles Bach when I was out in Myrtle Beach at a convention here recently. And Charles has been a, a longtime friend of mine, having uh, worked with him at the Magic Island here in Houston many years ago. But he started out as a dancer, and then after an injury, fate happened to enter in, which he had an opportunity then to work at Caesar's Magical Empire in Las Vegas shortly after that opened. He continued there for a number of years and then finally worked some cruise ships and has his own theater then right now on the boardwalk in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And although he lives in Las Vegas, he's kind of been commuting back and forth. And I think eventually he's going to make Myrtle Beach his permanent home there. He's got a really excellent theater and a fantastic show. If you ever get a chance to go and see him, you should certainly check that out. He's got a lot of really interesting stories that I know you're going to enjoy. He was good friends with Chappie Brazil by the way, who was a wonderful magician and most noted for his pickpocketing routine. And that was taught on a, a I guess, a VHS, but it's a DVD. It's available then now. And uh, we're going, we haven't had a contest in a long time. And since it is the season to be jolly and to be giving, and since I'm asking for you to give us something, how about if I give something in return? Now, I do have a DVD that's a compliments of Charles Bach that we can give out. And so I'll give the details of that on the back end of this podcast. But first, let's listen to our guest, Mr. Charles Bach, here on The Magic Work. Today, with someone who has, boy, it seems like literally done it all and still continuing to do it, and with par excellence. Uh, my friend Charles Bach uh, lives in 
Las Vegas. I'm with him now in his theater uh, called the Wonders Theater, which is in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. But when I say he's done it all, he had worked in Las Vegas for a long time and, again, still resides there, but uh, had a show. And also, I believe he had worked with the uh, John Chirac and all those guys back at Caesar's Magical Empire yes. way back in the day. I mean, talk about that then a little bit then as well. But aside from that, working cruise ships all over the world. And as he was uh, traveling the world, and particularly Asia, I guess he was picking up some things here and there uh, that he was able, later able to, you know, incorporate into the staging that he's got right now, which is a marvelous stage, great lighting, uh, great cast, and uh, a wonderful show. And... Um, his name may sound familiar when he says Bach, because actually he is uh, a descendant of uh, Johann Bach, correct? Yes. That's amazing. And also, he is a trained dancer. He had um, uh, had studied ballet, and um, so when a lot of times you see magicians on stage that are dancing, normally they kind of turn it over and let their assistants dance. You're just as good or better than, it seems like, the, the rest of them. It looked like that you had taught them some steps and kind of choreographed this than yourself. And uh, also, he was a friend of uh, Chappie Brazil, who did one of the best watch steals in the world. And uh, Chappie uh, tragically had a, a, a short life. Um, and had a motorcycle accident, but he was best friends with Chappie, and he carries on his uh, his legacy uh, still then today, and uh, uh, does a great watch still then himself. Anyhow, I'm going to stop talking about him, let him talk to him about himself. Here he is, my friend Charles Bach. Hey there, Charles. Well, hey, Scott. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You know, what I forgot to say also is about how that you and I, I guess, got to know each other was through the Magic Island in Houston when we worked Absolutely. together. Scott Hollingsworth used to be the entertainment director, and you'd come through with everybody. I mean, everybody come through at one time or another, and that was just a, a great venue, a great place to What an perform. opportunity. It, it, it's where a lot of us got our start doing our shows multiple times and just honing it in and making it better. And Scott Hollingsworth was a great set of eyes to make you better. Oh, absolutely. He was a great director. What I liked about that is that he could then uh, identify, you know, the, the saying, okay, you need to tighten this up, take this out, put this in, don't move or move to the side of the stage or whatever. So I always encourage people, if you get an opportunity to have a, a director or somebody, and as you said, he started a lot of people like Chip Romero, like Oscar Munoz. I mean, so many people who are well-known names in the magic community today. So uh, uh, although that you had already some good chops, I'm sure he helped to refine you a little bit. He, I, I definitely needed the help, and I appreciated <laughs> it. Uh, did, now, were you born in Las Vegas, or how long have you been there? I grew there? up in St. Louis in the Midwest, oh, okay. and right across the river from St. Louis in a very small town called oh, Collinsville. Oh, Collinsville. But I was born in Belleville, actually, and uh, Collinsville was the horseradish capital of the world. They produced two-thirds of the world's horseradish at the time. Did not know that. Yes. So. Because I'm from Southern Illinois myself. I went to school at Southern Illinois University. Oh, Fantastic. I know there's a um, SIU uh, Edwardsville campus, but I went to the one in Carbondale. Carbondale. Yeah. Yes. Uh, did you go to uh, college at the? Uh, I went Illinois? to the University of Iowa. Okay. And Gosh, I stu studied dance there. Louis. Oh, okay. Yes. So was, that was your major in dance. And at one, it was one of the top ten dance schools in the country, and mm -hmm. it was close enough that I could drive, you know, and see my family on the weekends. And I went there for dance, and mm -hmm. that really was a great school to go to. Theater and dance is what. How I did studied. you get involved with? Uh, dance to begin with whenever you were a child. So Doug Henning is the reason I became involved in you dance. You sound like Chip Romero. <laughs> it's absolutely true. In his program, he said, you should take dance to help you with your magic. Mm -hmm. And that was all I needed to hear. And the next week I was at the studio where my sister was taking dance and mm -hmm. I wanted to join the dance class and she quit and I kept going. Wow. 
And uh, so what is she doing today? She's not in magic or anything. No, she's not in magic <laughs> or dance. She she works in a, in a normal job and yeah. she has a normal life, but uh, she is, if she didn't go to that studio, I probably wouldn't either. So, What type of dance did you study or that you liked the most? I mean, was it ballet or so tap? ballet is like the center of everything. It's like learning your technique of magic. You start with sleight of hand moves and all the techniques and dance is the same way. So ballet is definitely the foundation. It teaches you good technique, how to mm-hmm. stand, how to present, how to turn out. And then you can do everything else from there. But I took ballet, tap, jazz, ac- acrobatics and tumbling and all those things. Would you recommend to younger people who are going to be going to school to take theater and or dance if they had the choice? 100% take them all. Okay. <laughs> and business and marketing and My everything. My parents tried to tell me to just pick one thing and stick to it. And I'm glad I didn't follow their mm-hmm. advice. I, I did many things and all of those things now come into play. I really? Use, I use them all. Now, what about uh, woodworking or building? I mean, I know obviously that as an illusionist that a lot of times that uh, things break and you got to be able to put it back together or uh, uh, also then you create a lot of uh, things then as well. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's that's very true. I'm very curious about things. So there's tons of YouTube videos that will show you how to do almost anything. And if you're really, you know, able to follow a tutorial, you can really, mm-hmm. it's like following a recipe. You just put the ingredients in and make it work. So yeah. Being an illusionist, you've had to learn all these skills that you never thought you needed. You need yeah. electronics, hydraulics, pneumatics, all of the woodworking. Yeah. Everything, everything is part of the illusionist. So that's one of the reasons you really like uh, Gary Pollock, I guess. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and Gary can do things that uh, nobody else can do. So when you run into a, right. a wall and you're like, I need to know how to do this, he's the guy to call. He's the, he's the guy. Yeah. Everybody seems to uh, call on him. Um, when we worked together at the Magic Island and we'd go to lunch, he was talking at the time, long before he had show tech, he kind of had this thing in mind, you know, with the mini disc player and everything, and I'm going to be building this. And, and uh, he would always, each time he came to the island, would talk about new stuff that he was working on or, you know, starting to build. Just uh, very clever, very creative guy. And so there are some things in your show that you have here now that were things that were kind of a cooperative effort, I guess, uh, yes. creating with him. So I made a very low-tech version that worked with the strings, pulling strings like the yep. old-fashioned way. And then I told Carrie that I wanted to make it electronic. I wanted to make yep. this thing like my jumbo sidekick mm-hmm. that I could. And he, he took the idea and then he even improved it. He came up with it. He's like, every time I talk to you, we come up with something that's even better. Wow. And I'm like, that's exactly right. Let's, let's make it even better. And it, it really is a fun routine. Yeah. Now you say jumbo sidekick. So is it different than just the regular jumbo sidekick? That you have, I mean, the Collector's Workshop Edition, you've got So some... I don't have a jumbo sidekick. Oh, but pardon me. Okay. The trick that you saw tonight in the show is something that kind my of my version of the jumbo sidekick that I got you. you would never recognize as the jumbo sidekick. I wouldn't until you just told me that. And I'm not going to tell the listeners what it is <laughs> that's that particular routine, but now I can understand what you're talking about. Huh. Huh. Very interesting. Um, and going back to, uh, to dance, I was going to say, because of your heritage of Bach, I mean, that's it, just amazing to think that you're a descendant, uh, of Bach, that, um, is there music in your family or people who have continued to pursue that? There has been music in the family. It, 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 Johann Sebastian had a lot of children. He had two wives and one of them happens to be, was, happened to be named Magdalena, which is my wife's name, which is what a coincidence. Ironic. Coincidence. Yeah. Yes. But uh, some of them emigrated to the U.S. around the Midwest and in Indiana and that area. Did not know that. And that's, that's how our family got here. Yeah. Wow. 
Interesting. And so you said that like others have uh, in your family had kind of pursued yes. music as a career. There was music in, in our family as well. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that I chose. However, yeah. my son is a is a pianist. pianist and he's extremely talented. We don't tell him that. <laughs> we just let him keep pushing himself. And he's... And how old is he? He's 12. Okay. Now, you're working uh, here in uh, Myrtle Beach, but your family then right now is still in Las Vegas and kind of uh, imagine difficult... A little bit of back and to, forth. Yeah. And, and we're now in the process of moving to Myrtle Beach so we can be here long term. Full time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I know some guys who have worked ships with their wives and then once they have a child, sometimes they'll either abandon the ship uh, or else say, you know, my wife can stay and you know raise a child on land uh how did you handle that or did you have your child we had exactly that so when benji was young enough we actually went all over asia and all of these amazing countries Mm -hmm. that he doesn't remember any of because he was under five he was under five and he doesn't remember any of those and then he started school and we we had a wonderful time traveling the world together and then that ruined everything (laughs) <laughs> so they had to stay home and I had to do the ships and I was just miserable. So that's when I started pursuing an opportunity to be in one place. And that's when we found Myrtle Beach. The captain of the ship happened to be from Myrtle Beach. He said, you should look at this as one of the cities because yeah. a lot of tourists. There wasn't a magic show at the time and this was a good place to come. And you've been here now for two years? This will be my, next year will be my, f- uh, well, we started uh, in 2019 was the first year. Okay. And so that we did four years, not including... COVID years. COVID. We didn't get to open yeah. that year. So this would technically be a fifth year if we could have done COVID year. Okay. But it's interesting uh, that you had selected Myrtle Beach at the recommendation of a captain. I was talking with the uh, uh down in Tampa, and they said they had looked all across the country from east to west coast and every place in between trying to find the right place. And they just kind of felt like in Tampa and Sarasota area, they can still curl their toes in the sand. I mean, they, they like the beach area, but this was someplace that you automatically knew you wanted to come. Huh? I did. I did. I met with Broadway at the beach, which is a shopping and entertainment complex, and I let them know that I was interested, and they, they said, we'd love to have you. We're missing something like this. We'd love to have the show. So I came out to meet with them. There was the no show, live theater here at all? There was uh, comedy club not or really. There's Legends in Concert, which is right next to us, and they've been here for many, many years, mm. but in on the property, there wasn't. Okay. And there was an old IMAX theater, which they showed me. And I said, I think I can turn this into a theater. So I did. And then when COVID happened, this new space became available, which is more intimate. It's a it's an ideal room for what I like to do. And so we built it in this space after COVID. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the place. And remind me of the name of this that's uh, oh, on Fremont Street that uh, was a multiplex theater. I want to say the Continental or something like that. I don't know Vinny Grosso had worked there. And uh, um, you know what I'm talking about? What's the name of the uh, the casino? Oh, it's not a casino. It's it's actually a, a performing theater venue mm-hmm. um, just on Fremont. It used to be a movie theater called Neonopolis or something like that. Could originally. have been Neonopolis. But it's just, the, yeah, that they had different theaters. And mm-hmm. so they've already got the stage, the proscenium, and, and everything already pretty much built. Uh, Gary Carson's working there. Mm-hmm. And then right now, I can't think of the name of the theater, darn it. You, that doesn't ring yes. you're from Vegas. I, you I don't know exactly either. which one you're talking about. It used to be called Neonopolis, and then I was changed into something else. Mm-hmm. And that's that's it's got multi-levels, and there's theaters in there that were... It's kind of nice, yeah, again, because they've already got the rake seating and everything. Whereas, as I understand from what they I was heard earlier, is that you may be getting some rake seating soon? Yes, we purchased the seating. However, we have to redo our seating chart, so we have to wait till next season before that can go in. Okay. Now, when you uh, change your show around a little bit. You were talking about doing a Christmas show and everything. Um, do you have a different show every season? We try to change the show an, a, 
at least 30% of the show changes. Mm-hmm. So I'll change the close-up, I'll do some new illusions, and we'll stage things differently or mix it up. Who consults with you on these ideas? Um, my wife. Okay. <laughs> she's very good about that. Really? Yes. Okay. What's she, her background? She She's a lawyer. So. Oh, well, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anything you do in a company, you have to run by the lawyers, well, right? Well, that's, that's true. Um, but from a creative standpoint, as far as some of the ideas that you come up with that are a little bit different that I've seen other magicians do, uh, presentation-wise uh, as well, um, those are mainly your own... Oh, yes. Yes. I, I love to choreograph. I love to stage. I love lighting. I love all of those elements of theatric, theatrical. Mm-hmm. Well, having a background, I guess, you know, in dance, that um, that's pretty true. Now, have you gone back to uh, school and... and uh, spoken or performed there or taught or no i have you ever think about that i would love to i would love to if i have that time i would definitely enjoy that mm-hmm. i bet that they'd like to have you back sometime you know here's one of our prize students and that uh, had gone on and here's you know how he'd taken dance and you could do other kinds of things with this then as well and and you don't have to you know be on broadway i guess that's uh, not at all in fact mm-hmm. i don't mind having my own theater with my name on it doing shows every Who night <laughs> it's not a problem <laughs> That's a, a difficult thing, I would think, of having your own theater because you have so much. I mean, having a wife who's going to be an attorney certainly helps from the standpoint of all the contracts and everything else, I guess, that has to uh, permits, et cetera. But as far as uh, running a business of that, do you handle all that then yourself? Do you have a business manager? or So I handle all of that, but I, I definitely have uh, other people that I consult with or ask questions or mm-hmm. that help me with certain things. And my wife takes care of the front of the house. I take care of the back of the house. Mm-hmm. But when we're not together, when she's in Las Vegas, I kind of do a little bit of both. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so when you say that she's going to be moving then soon to Myrtle Beach, has she got her own practice there or is she with a farm already? No, she actually practiced in the EU because she's Polish. She's really oh. from Poland. Okay. So when we first got married, she was already admitted to law school and ready to start law school. And she would have to go to school for three years, hmm. uh, go back to school again so she wow. could practice in the United States. And right. we thought why not travel the world together? So we got on a cruise ship and literally went around the world. That was our honeymoon was hmm. traveling the world. It was fantastic. And were you doing a lot of big illusions I as well? I was doing a big illusion show on the ships. Okay. You weren't working with cats or anything? No cats. Have you ever no worked cats. with cats? I have not worked with cats. Good for you. I've worked <laughs> with dancers. They're similar. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did it? was it mainly Asia or just kind of all over? Where did you so that was all of Europe and then Asia and Middle East and South America. It The, the ships went all the way around the world. And mm-hmm. we kind of, our agent at the time was really wonderful about letting us pick where we wanted to go. Yeah. And so we chose those countries and places that we wanted to see. And we spent two years just traveling the world. So different lines? All different lines. Okay. I was going to say from the places NCL, you went. NCL, yeah, mm-hmm. Star Cruises in Asia, all, all different lines. So does Fred Becker and some of the other guys also work different ships or do they tend to work the same? I'm not sure. I think they, a lot of us have mixed it up depending on where our agent sends us. That's true. Yeah. I'd worked uh, for Barry Ball and it's kind of like, well, can you be in, um, gosh, we're not Dubai, you know, but, uh, you know, can you be down in Miami? Like this weekend or whatever, you know, it's like they're sending you all over the it's true. the world. I mean, Absolutely. you just have to have some uh, flexibility. Um, uh, and uh, what advice would you have for those who are trying to get on cruise ships now? Is so, it easier now or harder now? It would be a little bit harder, but nowadays uh, there's definitely opportunities, but you need to be packaged. You need to put everything together. 
You need to have your shows ready. It needs mm-hmm. to be solid as a rock, so you don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. So wherever you need to go to make that happen, go there first. Mm-hmm. Because the cruise ships will give you one opportunity, and then it will take a long time to give you a second chance if you don't do well the first time. Mm-hmm. So if you don't think you're ready, don't, don't do it. It will hurt you more than help you. Mm-hmm. But once you've developed your shows, and you should have two 45-minute shows, one stage show, mm-hmm. one could be close-up parlor, whatever, but two solid 45-minute shows, and that will serve you well. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it used to be that uh, you would send a video. And of course, now you can um, have that online. And I think it's probably a lot like most jobs. I don't care if you are going to be an attorney or a school teacher or anything. A lot of these uh, things are just Zoom calls or whatever. I mean, you really can't make a phone call. I mean, after that, you've already kind of sent them information and they kind of like you. I mean, that's... Uh, I think harder to get to the next step to talk personally with someone. Again, whenever I was talking to Barry Ball, I mean, first phone call, you know, it's like we connected and, you know, it's hard to make the connection nowadays, I think. It is. It is. So the agents get tons of submissions. Usually it's better to go with a recommendation from a friend Mm -hmm. that is already working with that agent. Mm -hmm. And because if you send your stuff, it probably won't get seen. Right. And it's a crazy world where they're always booking, always dealing with travel, always dealing with different acts. It's a lot of things going on for them. So it's best to get a recommendation from someone or meet them at a showcase. Yes. They have a showcase that take that opportunity to and when you're, I'm ready, I've got two 45-minute shows, I'm solid as a rock, my packaging is together, I've got my videos, I've got my press kit, everything is online, mm-hmm. I look ready for the ready job, go. Yeah. go to a showcase that they have, because that's mm-hmm. an opportunity for them to see you, or invite them to see you. Yeah. Um, you don't have to be an illusionist, though, either. I mean, No. In fact, uh, there's very few illusionists now. Mm-hmm. The the cruise lines have had, since COVID and all these things, shipping the props and dealing with customs and all mm-hmm. those things has become an issue. It's They're really limited. But that doesn't mean they don't, because mm-hmm. there are some lines that do want illusionists again. And bird acts. I mean, I think it'd be difficult bird to try to quarantine your birds. Definitely are a challenge. So yeah. I would recommend not doing the bird act for cruises. Mm-hmm. It will give you more hassles than you want to deal with. It will end up costing you more than, mm-hmm. than you're going to gain from it. Hmm. And um, when you are uh, looking for the job, again, I, I've heard that uh, it's best to try to get in around the holiday because a lot of people are busy during yes. Christmas. It's like, hey, I'm available. So Christmas. most of the regular acts do want to spend time at home Correct. with the family. So and that's a, a very good opportunity for you to say, well, listen, I'm available at Christmas. I, I can do that mm-hmm. week. And it's a tougher audience because the people that? that aren't home with their families mm-hmm. go out on the ship. Oh, okay. So they're not as happy as the normal <laughs> customers that you would experience. Okay. Hmm. And that's just a little bit more challenging. Not to say they're all like that, but and some people really are there to have Hadn't a good time. about that. But it is a more challenging time. Usually a lot of uh, guests from Asia who don't celebrate Christmas would be on the ships. So okay. You'd, you'd get a mix of audience that's very different than what you'd see in the summer. And, of course, I've heard where... Marvin Roy had said, if you have a sign on act, you can work anywhere in the world. But, uh, you know, a lot of times we have talking acts and have comedy and everything as part of that. Uh, is that still the case that you can work more places, you think, with a sign on act? I've worked with very few silent acts. Really? Very few. I've worked with a couple of mimes and uh, other, uh, but very, very few. Very, very mm-hmm. few. Almost everybody has to talk. And to fill two 45-minute shows with all silent material would be very hard to, 
engage the audience for well for 45 minutes without yes. opening your mouth yes that's, that's a, a good point too well again i think you know from marvin roy and, and norm nielsen's standpoint they just had a solid what 12 minutes or whatever you know as part of a variety act uh and were able to uh, to work hey, did you ever work uh, river cruises I did not do. I did one river cruise in St. Louis when I was growing oh, up. Okay, doesn't uh, count. <laughs> it doesn't count quite as much, but it was fun because it was yeah. like riverboat gambling style. Yeah. It was wasn't on it was the SS Amber, well was it? Uh, no, but I do remember that. <laughs> I do remember that ship. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it was a fun arcade. I, I I remember hearing Johnny Thompson talking about that was a lot more fun working on the uh, river cruises because people get on and off and they've got other kinds of entertainment to do and you get to see a lot more things. You know that way. I did something on the Rhine once with uh, a river cruise and it was it turned out to be great. It was a lot of fun. Seems like that everyone's a lot more intimate because it's a smaller passenger list, you know, than you would have with a 3,000 passenger, you yes. know, cruise ship or Having something. the smaller ships, you do get to be a star mm -hmm. as well for, for a week or whatever. Yeah. After you do your show, everybody wants to take pictures with you, wants to have lunch with you or talk to you. Yeah. But uh, on the smaller ships, there's more intimacy and more uh, friend friendliness. Sure. But yeah. The bigger ships... They may not see you. There's 5,000 people on that ship. A couple thousand might have seen you. but They may or may not because they have other activities that are competing with that. That's right. And so they may have missed that night or whatever, whenever you were on. And the smaller ships, you're definitely a star because they see you two shows one of those yeah. nights. It's right. just you. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I want to go back to something I had mentioned uh, at the beginning in the introduction, and that is with the uh, Caesar's Palace or Caesar's Magic Kingdom. What years were you there and how did you get involved with that? Okay. So Caesar's Magical Empire. Empire and I, thank I, you. I auditioned for it in New York and really? I, yeah, they had, I was dancing in a ballet company there. Okay. I had a knee injury from doing nutcrackers and I was like, well, I can take. That doesn't seem wrong. I mean, you had a knee cracker. It seems like if you were really. <laughs> a knee cracker. Yes. <laughs> but uh, then I auditioned, I had five different dance jobs for different dance companies mm -hmm. and then I auditioned for this magic thing. I thought this would be really interesting. Hmm. And then was Milt Larson actually involved? I mean, he was involved in like the design of it. They but not the discussed with him. But when it came to the pr talent. production side of it, it was Landmark Entertainment who produced the Jurassic Park ride, produced the ET, all these big attractions yeah. that were Universal. Mm -hmm. They did those, and they were the producers for the show. So they were auditioning literally all over the country to try to find magician slash singer slash actor mm. performers that could do everything. And that was a challenge for them because there were great actors who couldn't do magic. There were great magicians who couldn't act or sing. So it was a challenge for them. But uh, I did sing and I did the acting bit. I did my monologue. I did some magic. And well, then you had the whole package. I got the job yeah. and I came out. And at that time, Chappie was sitting right there in the hallway. And mm -hmm. I go, I think I got it. And he goes, oh. Like he's really excited. Mm -hmm. And then he went in and of course he got the job and that's where we, we met in Las Vegas. Okay. So when you said he was in the hallway, was, was that in New York? In New York. As well? In New York Was he City. dancing as well? No, no, no. Oh. He was not dancing. He was okay. doing magic. In fact, when I was dancing, he called me one day to fill in for him for a show. Mm -hmm. He was working at the Ibis Supper Club where Jeff McBride used to perform as well. Okay. And he called me to see if I could fill in for him, but I didn't get, it was a voicemail, so I didn't get the message until too late. Oh, man. But that would have been our first connection, would have yeah. been that phone call. Mm -hmm. And then we actually met in person in Las Vegas. But you after. had gotten together with him and talked magic from time to time or not back then? No, not that, at all. So that was when not you said that he, he missed that connection. that I was a magician oh, doing shows on the weekend, but I was dancing in the ballet company. Which is why he contacted you. Yes. Okay. 
and missed the uh, missed the call. So at that, I know there were other people again, like John Chirac and uh, Max Maven. I don't know who all else was involved. Uh, Jonathan Pendragon, and so all the big magicians. Mike Amar, absolutely. Yeah. Michael Amar was there. Yeah, the Pendragons, uh, Kalen and Ginger, Jeff Hobson, Jeff McBride, all of them came mm-hmm. through and we all had an amazing time. If you could pick up the magical empire and stick it in any other city in the world, mm-hmm. it would run for a hundred years. What was it that uh, caused it to, uh, so close? every CEO that came into Caesar's palace, they yeah. got sold three times. They were owned by a, a hotel company. They were owned by ITT. They were owned by three different companies. Each time a new CEO came in and went, well, this wasn't my idea. Oh. So they didn't love it. Even though it was because successful. Because it wasn't their idea. Yeah. Sure. CEOs have an ego, usually. <laughs> the same thing like I understand with television. Sometimes that there'll be a new president of the network or whatever, even though that they've got a hit, let's say like Star Trek or whatever yes. you know, might be. But the new one says, nope, I don't like that. I don't care if it's successful. It wasn't my idea. And so it's the same. That was that the same was situation. Very true. Well, how it was did very it? True. How did it? So succeed? when the new CEO, it succeeded on its own, in spite of a lack of like a lot of advertising. It, it was an immersive experience before immersive experience was became a popular thing. Mm-hmm. So it was really about fifteen to twenty years ahead of its time. Now that's a big thing everywhere you see. Yeah. And it really was like that. Jackie Chan came through. He wanted to shoot in our center area really? because he thought it looked like a film set. Wow. He loved the mm-hmm. whole place. And it was it was an amazing place to work. You really got to work with all the best magicians. And there's not a single person that went through there that didn't love it. Yeah. And so you really get to hone your skills, I guess, when you were there. Yes. So those who did close up, they specialize in that or they start doing a little bit of everything? So we had to do a little bit of everything in the show, which was a production show. It was uh, in, a, in a dining chamber. So we had 25 guests, 24 to 25 guests, okay. and they're all in seated areas. And there were each one of these dining chambers was $2 million to build. Holy cow. And all the effects and everything was built into it. And this is way before everybody's using uh, uh, show Visual tech. technology. <laughs> yes. Everything was run with light beams. And when we walked through the light beam, we would trigger the next cue. Mm-hmm. And that controlled the lights, that controlled all the effects, all the moving items in the room. Everything and the music. So you had a lot of rehearsals. A lot of rehearsals, yes. Hmm. And that show was very tight. It had to be exactly 50, 53 minutes or 57 minutes. I can't remember. One, it was five minutes. Uh, it had to be, oh, 63 minutes. It had to be 63 minutes long. If you went over, there, I don't care how good you were. If they were standing on their feet applauding and cheering for you, if you were late, there was a manager outside your door. Was it because they wanted people back out gambling? Because or? of the casino, yes. Yeah. So you went to the dining chamber, then you'd go to the other shows and the other shows, and they had a perfect timed experience Move you to one. get you back out to the casino right. so they wouldn't lose revenue. And they knew exactly how much money they would lose for every minute that you went long. Wow. You know, I've heard that before, that whenever that uh, they say, okay, we need you to do 12 minutes. That doesn't mean 13, that doesn't mean 11, we need you to do 12 minutes or whatever. And that's based upon we need to get people back out there gambling. Is that still the case in Vegas as much as it was before? Not, not. as much because now there yeah, are not productions that are produced. Good point. Now it's very much, uh, I rent the room so I can do my own show. But a lot of these rooms are also doing back-to-back shows in the same mm. room. David Sachs has maybe three or four shows in the same room. Right, right. You turn around the room and the next crowd comes in. So they do have a tight window that they need to keep it in. But it's not because of gambling. It's because they got something else. Yes. Another 
thing that's coming in. Wow. Now, again, I mentioned Milt Larson briefly, but he was the one that was his idea of kind of trying to recreate, if you will, the Magic Castle kind of a thing, but a little bit different. It was the Magic Castle on steroids. Okay. So it was the Magic Castle blown up like 10 times. Yeah. But they didn't uh, change the axe. They just kept the same axe. So the only axe that changed were the close-up room, Hmm. which was uh, the secret pagoda. And then there was the Sultan's Palace, which was the illusion axe that came through. Mm -hmm. And those those would change. Those would change. They'd do a few weeks, and then another group would come in, and they'd do a few weeks. And who were some of the people that... Pendragons came in a lot. Okay. So they were not like there every... No, no, no. They would come in. They probably did 10 weeks a year. Okay. But everybody loved working there. Yeah. And you say Mark and Kalen. Mark uh-huh. Kalen and Ginger. And Scott Alexander mm-hmm. was a regular performer. He came a lot. He did both the parlor and he did the Sultan's Palace shows. Who were the ones like Peter you? Peter Gossamer. Yeah, a lot of... Who were the, well, I hadn't seen Peter in a while. Uh, who were there all the time? I mean, that it was your regular gig. So I, I was one of the regular magicians. Yeah. Chappie and I were definitely one of the, Darren Romeo was one of the wizards oh, really? as well. Yeah. Hmm. We all did. He sing back then. He did sing. I'll be. Yeah. So huh. you you had there was a dinner song. There was an opening song. There was a dinner song where we predicted the menu items that the people chose. Interesting. Everybody gets a menu and it, you yeah. choose from one of the four and you tear your menu through the chicken, the beef, the salmon, or the <laughs> veal. And when you tore through that, it would you know select that item on the menu and then all the menus were gathered up and it didn't matter if you did it under the table where the magician or wizard didn't see anything and they gathered them all up or if you grabbed your neighbors and mixed them all up it didn't matter Mm -hmm. when they gather them all up they get burned out in this little japanese box that was on the thing they get all get burned up and then you think we're done we're not going to eat and then the dinner song starts and it's like be our guest and then we start lifting off the lids and everything is exactly the way you ordered it wow and the song actually rhymed, so it would it would rhyme with fish, and you reveal the salmon, and it would rhyme with beef, and you'd lift and reveal the beef. So would that change from group to group as yes. to whatever they would? So we had to learn different versions of the That's ending of each you. each one of those choruses. So if we were revealed a, a chicken, we'd reveal Sing, a chicken. Like you knew it immediately. Of course, yes. that's what it was. That's lots of practice. Yeah. <laughs> And then the last table, and this was a, a, a lot of the people ended up doing it. We would get so comfortable that we could predict all eight of the center table. We could literally go chicken, beef, really? salmon, and just point to everybody and reveal it. Do, 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 do. And that fried everybody. I'm not going to tell how that worked. <laughs> I remember seeing, I think, a video, and there was someone who was like the host, and I didn't recognize the guy at all. You know, had kind of a, a wizard beard, a little bit uh, full face. Um, Longer hair, in a way, kind of look like. Did Captain he have a Brighton Tina Turner wig on? He might have. Okay, that would have been uh, one of the, one of the actor performers. Okay, and he, so he, he was, was not a magician. No, but he was super funny. He was okay. like Charles Nelson Reilly, and he was super funny. Mm-hmm. And he he was one of the really good wizards, and we 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 helped him with his magic and everything, mm-hmm. so he could definitely accomplish. After all that close, what did he do? Where did he? Did you ever keep up with some of these? Aside from the I definitely have seen. They've gone to different places in the country. They've done different things. A lot of them are producing or writing or hmm. creating or directing or still performing. Yeah, but not necessarily staying in Vegas. They've gone to different. They've uh, gone to different cities. Uh, things, whether it's New York or yes. back to L.A. or whatever, like that. That must have been just a fun time. In how many years? Seven years. Say that it lasted. I was, or? I was there for four and a half years, and then it lasted a few more years after that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Uh, now we talked a little bit about uh, Chappie, and um, I know that he had uh, a watch steal. That was kind of what his thing was. What made that 
unique and different from anybody else's? Was it his misdirection or his so handling? Chappie had an amazing watch deal. It was so clean and so fast and so smooth. And he also had one of the few techniques for stealing a Rolex-style watch. Mm-hmm. And those were super popular at the at yeah. the time when we were at the Magical Empire. And he had a technique for taking the watch off the wrist, mm-hmm. which, uh, according to Jim Ravel's theatrical pickpocketing, it was not Can't possible. Yeah. But I read it, every it, book about him. He definitely figured out how to do it, and it, it was amazing. And then Brian Gillis also learned that watch steal from Chappie. Oh, really? Okay. And he was one of the only magicians that I know. I, I did do it as well, but he's one of the only magicians that did the watch steal with the Rolex, Rolex. style. Did he, you teach that on the video? As I recall, it is on the video. Yeah, it years ago, that it was after Chappie died. I think yes. it, that you did that kind of in memory of him and all that. Yeah, huh? And it, he actually stole uh, in that same dining chamber where there were twenty-five guests. Yeah, he did a different reveal of the watch and he had the waiter come out with a, a tray and lift off the napkin and on it was a big pile of watches the he people from the table everybody? every watch in the room <laughs> he sold 24 watches in a room of 25 people and that's because the 25th person didn't have a watch on wow and not a single person he got every single one and we were so proud of him that was amazing <laughs> that would be the apex that would be the best you could possibly do <laughs> Man, uh, and when he passed, he was so young. I was going to say, what, was he 27 or was he even so 30? He was 33, 33, and that was in two, uh, 1998. Mm-hmm. And we had just finished the Watch Deal video. Oh, We okay. had just finished shooting it, and we had just finished editing it. We spent three days in the editing bay. This was back when you had to have somebody do the editing for you. Yeah. And we just were going to watch the last copy of it. Mm-hmm at my house. So we went after the shows, we went and played blackjack and had some fun. And he's like, I'm going to go see my wife and then I'll come over and we'll watch the video. And it was about 1 AM mm-hmm. that, uh, he, and he went home and his wife called me and she was in a panic. And that's when I found out what happened. He was, uh, on his way to the, to my house to see the video. Yeah. And a police car was responding to a call, which was a domestic dispute. Okay. And the police car was going fast, but he didn't have his siren or his lights on. And he cut the corner right where the new uh, stadium is that's in Vegas, the football stadium. The foot, yeah, the it's Raiders right Stadium. There, right there on Dean Martin. Right there at that corner near Okendo is the street. The police car cut the corner to try to get there faster and hit Chappie head on. on wow. His, on his motorcycle. Was the uh, driver injured at all? Or, no, no. It, the car and a motorcycle, I mean, the car's going to win every time. But, yes, uh, yes. Oh, my gosh. So it, it happened, and that was about 4 a.m., and it was just devastating. It, it was... Was he DOA? I mean, they had an arrival? or it meeting? didn't. He didn't survive instantly. Yeah. Well, I guess it's amazing. <clears throat> and sorry, because I, again, know how close you guys were. It was a difficult time, and you've you know, continued to uh, carry on his memory and, and teach the watch deal. And uh, as we speak right now, and we are here then for Magic of the Beach, and we're going to be uh, having a great convention. I understand that's going to be part of your lecture. I'm going to be lecturing on the watch deal. I okay. absolutely am. I'm going to carry on the legacy of Chappie and, and so some other magicians how to steal watches. I'm, and I'm also going to teach, in fact, uh, we have a swag bag that the magicians get, and it's kind of famous for this convention mm-hmm. that includes a bunch of items. And one of them happens to be the the Sawa Spoon, the Dr. Sawa Spoon. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to teach Chappie's handling of that where it, it's animated. And Copperfield saw this and was like super impressed. Oh, mm-hmm. by the way, Chappie did steal Homer Leewag's watch. 
Without Homer knowing it. Without Homer knowing it. So <laughs> I know Copperfield still remembers that. And Chris Kenner still remembers that. And Homer definitely remembers that. Yeah. Chappie stole his watch. And then they invited us to the movies afterwards. Oh, yeah. I did that once. I got to go see uh, The Hangover 2 uh, with him. It's kind of, you know, almost like yes. private theater. A private private show. <laughs> we saw Austin Powers. Okay. Well, it was yes. a while back then, too. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Wow. Um so, uh, living out here then in Myrtle Beach, again, making the decision to be separated as you are with a family, it's got to be a, a difficult kind of a, a decision, but uh, still having that kind of relationship such that, uh, as you say, she's going to be moving uh, again out here. And I talked also about the uh, uh, cruise ships. What kind of advice would you give for, to people who then have... Decisions like that to make. I mean, you know, I'm of a different era, much older than you from the standpoint that my wife worked and I did too, but she was able to take her, she was dental hygienist, so she could get a license in different states so she could move. But I mean, if somebody like an attorney or if you have another professional, you know, it's a doctor or dentist or something, it's hard then to move like that. And particularly if you're, again, let's say working on cruises, it's hard to say, I'm going to quit this life because we have a child now. And so... Yes, a lot of performers, it's very hard, but it's also hard to find work for what we do. There are certain mm -hmm. areas that we have to, we have to go to our place to work. That's right. Well, that's a good point. It's rare to have a place that you just to get to do your shows. And I'm lucky to have this right now. Yeah. But I used to travel all the time, mm -hmm. going to a different ship, a different place. And there aren't many venues that we can do that. We are the new vaudeville. So mm -hmm. those cruise ships are our theaters. That's true. Yeah. Did you do very many Zoom? shows or anything? I did no Zoom shows. Did not. All I did was prepare for the next season for this okay. in Myrtle Beach. So I knew that I lost my season. I kept uh, holding off and holding off and holding off, trying not to cancel. Mm -hmm. And then on May 5th, I had to cancel. I had to cancel the whole season. I still had expenses to pay and all that stuff, but no revenue coming in. But I knew that this COVID thing would go away. Eventually, sure. So I spent all that time planning, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. How am I going to make my theater successful and my show successful? And that's what I did. I focused so your on. time was really spent towards this. We also then developing and working on your stage and your lighting and yes. music and all that kind of thing. So and that I way, learned all this stuff. Did you? Because it was the same. Again, through YouTube and videos and yes, things like that. I learned my soundboard, my light board. And in Las Vegas, we have had a lot of shows. So there's production companies all over the place. And I was having a light repaired. And I asked the guys, I said, would it be okay if I just asked you a bunch of questions? Mm -hmm. And I'm, he's like, sure. So I set up a, a time with them and I sat down and I just had a list of questions like, how much power do I need here? How many chords would I need for this? What kind of DMX do I do? What do every little question about technical stuff. And when I came into the theater in uh, the first time, everything went smooth because hmm. we had planned everything in advance. I would think that uh, there'd be so many questions, so many answers that my brain would be so full. It's like, I think they said this. It's overwhelming. It, it's the word for it. Yeah. Yes. And on the cruise ship, I had a whole, and I wish I have a picture of this. I had a whole wall of checklists. One for lighting, <laughs> one for sound, one for magic, one for dancing, one for the, everyone, every checklists for everything and marketing and all the things that you have to do. It was like a to-do list that you did each day or before each show or what do you mean that was? A, a checklist of things that needed to be done before I could open the theater. Oh, oh, I got you. And okay. I did that from Hawaii on a cruise ship. Okay. So there were cruises still going on. That, this was this was in 2019, my first time coming to Myrtle Oh, okay, before yes. COVID. And yeah. then COVID ended my shut down. season. Yep, yeah. shut down all the cruise lines and everything. 
then yeah, as well as everything else then as well. Uh, so yeah, I can understand. So then you kind of had a, what I call a PERT chart. So this way that you had different things, I guess, that would be done by a certain time. And once that's finished, then you can then do this next thing. I love checking boxes. Yeah. It's such a good <laughs> feeling. Well, it's. Uh, I was just talking with someone today about that very thing about time management and um, getting things done and having checklists, having to-do lists. I'm glad to hear that you say that you have that and you do that. So that's the only way. That's the only way to get it done. <laughs> How can you get by otherwise? I mean, you're just kind of bouncing through life ever otherwise. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Hmm. So, do you wake up in the morning and say, "Okay, what do I need to do today?" Or do you? Or yes, I'll email email myself a checklist of things that need to be done. Mm-hmm. And then, if I didn't get something done the day before, that's on my next email to myself, and I have that list. Hmm. And I use a big font, so it's very obvious that I need to get. <laughs> are those things that you send to yourself like far in advance? I mean, like for the next day or you, you send Usually that for the next day. Okay. For the very next day. So when I get up in the morning, I, I have an email from myself that says you need to do this, 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 and this. When I make a checklist, it seems like it's early in the morning, but just after I've woken up in which it's like, okay, I need to get this done today. I need uh, to have this. Sometimes it's like I won't have it by done, done by noon. Other times, like sometime today, and I might have two or three things, and then I'll put a little box, you know, and then, to, like you say, I love checking boxes, you know, then as well. But if I don't get to all that, the world's not going to come to an end because I prioritize those things, obviously, some things that you can't put off until tomorrow, some things that you can start today and finish tomorrow then as well. But your things are actually sent by email, so you can keep it digitally. And then I, I hold myself accountable. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Do you keep like a, a a written diary of things that you're supposed to do or do, I mean, like in the future, I got to go here, travel here, you know, I've got this flight or whatever. Or do you keep a, that like uh, use Google Calendar or? I think technology has made everything so much easier. The Google Calendar that? is great. Okay. I use that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Especially for the theater, our box office manager can see what groups we have, what people we have, birthdays, anniversaries, mm-hmm. all that stuff right on the Google Calendar, and it's very easy to put it on there. Yeah. That's something I Super think you helpful. just have to train yourself to start using. And once you do, it's started to it do it without. It makes life so easy. Yeah. What other easy tools, or would I say tools that make your life easier, would you recommend? Um, are there apps or something that do? Uh... There are apps for different things, but I, I find that uh, emailing myself when I need to do something, and I use colored flags... So I'll know a purple means marketing, mm-hmm. a red one means something that needs to be uh, completed, like a ticket that needs to be put in, and a green means it's been done. Hmm. So I can always change the flags, and I know exactly what they mean. I know an orange right. is a group. I know a yellow is a... So everyone has its own color. Yeah. And it keeps track of things for me. Hmm. And then you can also click on that color and all the ones that will pop up from that color so you can go through them. So I find that there's a ton of tools that technology has provided that makes it easier. Makes it so much easier. Yeah, you used to have checklists and papers all over the place. Yeah, that's right, or post-it notes that are on your computer screen or something. But the walls of the ship are made of metal, so Mm -hmm. I had a big bag of magnets. Oh, really? I could stick things on the wall really (laughs) easily. Yeah, and so after that uh, shut down, then you had to take all those papers and bring it back? I still have the bag of magnets, though. (laughs) (laughs) So you took it back to uh, Vegas, I guess, and then started uh, working from there on everything. During COVID, what, since you weren't bringing in income from performing, were, did you have some other investments or what do you, what do you do during yes, the time? Yes, definitely. But, uh, you know, self-employed people were able to get uh, 
mm-hmm. some money out of the, the government COVID, was right? help, mm-hmm. helpful in that. So we didn't really have to worry, but we did get on a plane and go to Poland and mm-hmm. stay with my wife. You said your wife was from there. Parents. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the smartest moves we made. We did have to change our flight three times because they kept bumping the deadline that you could fly out of the country. Oh. So we were masked up. We had all the things and we totally made it to Poland with no COVID. And then we stayed there through, through most of COVID. And then once you were there, you couldn't probably get it back out. Now, were their protocols the same as in the U.S. from the standpoint of Very people? similar. Okay. Very similar. Things were shut down. Yes. And uh, wear a mask if you got out, et cetera, yes. to the grocery store or whatever. It was very similar everywhere. Hmm. I was wondering what it was like in other parts of the world. I had assumed that and I'd seen news on that, but I didn't know if all the countries were quite like that or if they had... Uh, their own protocols, huh? Yeah, the the neighbors there they had a duplex house, and so the neighbors they were very strict about COVID protocols. But the neighbor caught COVID, and it, it he passed away. Wow! And a ambulance came. Everybody's in hazmat suits, and they sure. took him out. I mean, it was, and he was not a, not an old person. He was pretty young. Hmm. So it was happening to a lot of people, and we saw it right right next to first first hand. Yeah. Gosh. Anyhow, then after that was over, then you came back then to Vegas. Mm-hmm. If you had a show like what you have right now, would you have stayed in Vegas? Um, no, because it's more expensive marketing-wise. Las Vegas is probably a really great city to lose a lot of money <laughs> if you want to open a show. Yeah. If you want the prestige of being a Las Vegas act, uh, just get a booking there for a week. Mm-hmm. Try to open a show. Yeah, you're you're competing with Celine Dion and Adele and every John big Adele, act yeah. there is. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to get the money first. Yeah, it's not the magic acts. There are other kinds. You got to look at the whole entertainment spectrum. That's right, and you've got a huge marketing spend that you're competing with them too mm-hmm. for that same piece of the pie, a tiny little piece of that 39 million people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I've heard before that it is. Uh, uh, of course, very competitive, and that if you're thinking about it, you should probably have an expectation of losing six months worth of uh, absolutely income. Yeah. Nobody, even big shows, fail. Mm-hmm. They come, yeah. Cirque shows and may come and go. Cirque shows have closed too and mm-hmm. spent millions of dollars, but they didn't hit. Mm-hmm. If you're very unique and you have something special, like Tape Face has done really well, Piff yep. has done really well. Right. They have something unique, and they are their own thing they have their own audience they yeah. brought their audience with them that's another thing you should if you're going to do that make sure you're famous on tiktok and you have your huge millions of followers before you open your show mm-hmm. because that's your audience that's who you're going to be selling to well like on agt i guess uh, or or pen and teller foolers if you've been on that i know they have touring shows uh, the fooler touring shows right now master of delusion i know gay blackstone has people out doing that then right now as well. And AGT has their show at the Luxor. I guess they kind of rotate people in and out of that. And they also have a touring show, I guess, with, with AGT then as well. But yeah, I think that if you have some sort of credibility of appearing on, but certainly having one or at least getting pretty far along, then you might be able to have your own show. Like Matt Franco. I mm-hmm. mean, amazing show. Yes. And he's kind of kept that AGT status, but then also he's built his own following. He's built his own brand. Mm-hmm. That's exactly and right. And like Shin Lim and Colin Cloud mm-hmm. also. Over Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So they brought an audience. AGT helped them gather that audience and mm-hmm. even Piff. It really helped them gather that audience. And now they have a brand that they right. can sell. So they're not basing their success on 
on AGT every day because, I mean, they get a few That's people right. probably in at this it, point. It was a good start. For, because it was a good start. Exactly right. Yeah. So your advice then, it sounds like, would be if you get an opportunity to get on one of these network shows, you should go for it. Yes, but have, a, have that as part of your plan. Like whatever your brand is, whatever your unique offering is, what do you do that's different than anybody else? Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, let that become your brand. And then when you get on AGT, you're, you have your path already kind of planned out what you want to do. Yeah. So I'm going to do AGT. I'm going to get a bunch of followers on my TikTok and on my Instagram. And I'm going to take advantage of that to take the next step. Right. Next leap. Right. Have You've never been on any of those shows, though, have you? I was on Penn & Teller. Penn & Teller? Okay. And that was a really fun experience. Really fun experience. What what made it most fun? Because they treat you really well. They let you do your entire act. They mm-hmm. don't change the narrative of how you're presented. They let you be you. Okay. And AGT can kind of change the way you are in your little package. I see. To fit the narrative that they need for the show. They can make you a good guy. They can make you a bad guy. They can make you a funny guy. They can make you a boring guy. They, they can make do you whatever fool. they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they have con- the creative control, but Penn and Teller just want to feature magic and great magic, so they let you be you. That's a good idea. I mean, I really hadn't thought about the difference between the two, but the, that makes complete sense because I was thinking something that Kevin James had done whenever he had gone forward, and they had insisted he do one particular thing that he didn't want to do, and he didn't proceed that next week. And he said, I knew better. But uh, that's another thing is that uh, once you do pr- proceed, you have week after week in which you have to come up with something else and something different as opposed to Penn and Teller. It's a one-off kind of a thing. You do yes. your, your one-shot deal. That's right. So if you're going on AGT, be prepared with the next four ideas mm-hmm. that you want to do that are going to one-up or increase your chances of staying on. Yeah. I've always thought, well, if unless you had a theater or you were trying to put butts in the seat, there really wasn't any upside to um, getting on AGT but, uh, or Penn & Teller. But I, I like your idea of saying, you know, if you want to uh, increase your brand, it doesn't matter if you're corporate or doing trade shows or whatever, that, that certainly helps. Definitely. Hmm. Definitely. Hmm. Any other advice before we leave? Well, keep doing what you do and be you. Just be comfortable being yourself and find your own character, your own personality, and your own unique way of presenting. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about anybody else. You. Well, I was about to ask what your magic word is, and that was, I think you kind of <laughs> summed that up as to, to be you, because I always like to know what it is that is a person's philosophy. But that, uh, uh, yeah, because they're not hiring someone who can be like somebody else, they're hiring you. That's it. Yeah. Hmm. Great advice. Well, Charles, thanks very much. I enjoyed uh, getting the chance to uh, catch up. This is uh, my pleasure. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Look you. Look forward so to much. seeing you then again and continued success then with the Wonders Theater here in Myrtle Beach. Fantastic. And so if people, by the way, want to uh, get tickets, uh, what's the website where they can oh, go? Oh, you can go to wonderstheater.com or wonderstickets.com. Okay. That's R-E or E-R? Wonders with an S, tickets with an S.com. Okay. And that's theater, though, with an ending with an oh, R. We have we have both. Okay. It'll, that's a- <laughs> it'll redirect you no matter what. But if you go to Wonders Tickets, you'll yeah, definitely find yeah. us. Sounds great. Charles, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. So for the Magic Word Podcast, that was Charles Mott. Scott Young. Thank you very much, Charles, for your time. That was amazing. I appreciate you uh, sharing some of those stories and telling us about what's been going on in your life since we last had a chance to uh, catch up. And it was marvelous. A lot of fun. I think the listeners got a lot out of that also. 
And I also want to remind everybody, if you do get a chance to travel anywhere near Myrtle Beach, go out of your way then to go and make sure you see that his uh, theater and to see his marvelous show. Fantastic. Uh, highly polished and uh, great dance music, everything is about it. It's just a great little theater. And also the boardwalk itself has just tons of things to do for the family. So uh, Myrtle Beach is a great place to go play golf. Uh, Boy, it's a vacation paradise. Lots of stuff going on. Highly recommended to get out there whenever you can. Well, I mentioned at the uh, top of this podcast uh, that we're going to be giving away something. And so I thought I would tell you what's going on. It's called the Watch Steel Video DVD with Chappie Brazil and Charles Bach. And it includes 30 minutes of new bonus material and this dvd can be yours if you will just go to the magic word podcast.com there you will see on this week's blog a place where you can fill out your name and your email address and that way that i'll put you on the spreadsheet and the database and we'll have a random drawing in a couple of weeks and right after the first of the year we will decide who the winner is let me say this is going to be limited to those who are within the united states because uh, it is is a physical thing. It's not digital, so I'm going to have to send a copy to you, and the uh, cost for shipping abroad is pretty expensive, uh, especially for DVDs or things of this size. But if you're interested in this, and if you want to uh, enter the contest, knowing full well that uh, you'll be responsible for foreign postage, you may do that. And what I'll do is notify you of what the foreign postage is going to be if your name happens to be drawn as the winner. In the meantime, again, if everyone will just go to who are interested, those of you who are interested, is to go to the magicwordpodcast.com, and there you can enter the uh, contest. And of course, then there's a good place uh, there that you can leave uh, some comments if you want on this week's episode. You can also become a friend of the Magic Word, learn more about how that you can help us with your financial contributions. So this has been great. I hope that everyone has just a marvelous holiday. This is such a joyful season, and I'm having so much fun sharing love and joy and peace as uh, St. Nicholas. So if you've been following me uh, on Facebook, you can see some of the pictures that I've posted as Santa Claus. So it's been just a a ton of fun. And I hope you guys have been having a great time, Uh, guys and gals, I should say, then as well, big and small of all ages. Thank you again for coming back and listening and for all So enjoying the season by taking the Magic Word podcast along with you. So until next week, stay well, get booked, and remember, don't try to be someone else. Just be you. This is Scotty out.